This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. of biomarkers has long held the promise of accelerating drug development and producing safer and more targeted drugs to meet the needs of patients. The explosion of genetic, proteomic, and metabolomic data, as well as the emergence of the human microbiome, is rapidly growing the world of biomarkers. But with that comes challenges for researchers and drug developers about knowing what's available and how well validated these biomarkers may be. We spoke to John Odette, president and co-founder of Amplion, about the company's database, which seeks to make biomarker information accessible to researchers, the role biomarkers can play in improving the drug development process, and how their increased use can bring about a long-anticipated era of precision medicine. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Daniel. We're going to talk about biomarkers, Amplion's database, and the implications this has for drug development. Let's start with biomarkers themselves. What is meant by a, a biomarker, and, and what is the range of substances this may include? So the, the, the fundamental concept of a biomarker has been around for a long time. I mean, a biomarker is basically some sort of a biological measurement that you can use to either help diagnose a disease, uh, or to provide uh, some guidance on drug treatment, things of that nature. And so things like, you know, things like uh, blood pressure uh, are, are actually biomarkers. What's fundamentally changed, though, uh, really within the last 10 years, is that the notion of a biomarker has become much more specific. So as a result of all the advancements that were made during the Human Genome Project in our ability to measure genes and proteins, we now have thousands, tens of thousands of, of genes and proteins that we know are associated with different types of diseases uh, and other conditions. So a biomarker these days, for the most part, is, is exactly that. It's some sort of a gene or a protein or maybe even a, a mutation or a change in one of those uh, very specific molecules that allows you to, to much more specifically diagnose a disease. Uh, decide if you have a, a, a poor or a better prognosis for a disease or to, to select the right drug. Uh, so really the, the, the major, you know, characteristic I'd say that's changed over time is, is specificity. Things have just become much more specific in terms of what you're measuring and, and, and what you can learn from that measurement. As you mentioned, we, we've had this proliferation not only of genomics and, and proteomics and metabolomics, but now the, the microbiome. How good are we at finding new biomarkers, and with that, how good are we at understanding their value? You know, that's a really good question. It's, I think we're really good at uh, – researchers are very good 
as identifying associations between genes and proteins and metabolites, as you say, uh, and, and, and now uh, elements of the microbiome and, and understanding those associations with diseases. What the, where the challenge comes in is actually putting those discoveries into clinical practice. So one of the things that is kind of characterizes the current state of the art is that there are, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of, of new, you know, quote unquote discoveries, uh, each, each year in terms of new biomarkers that have been identified associated with a given disease. And, you know, this is the next latest and greatest biomarker for the diagnosing cancer X. Um, the, the challenge is, though, that the majority of those discoveries, you know, to be perfectly honest, are not going to end up in clinical practice. And uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. They, you know, science is hard. It's hard to reproduce discoveries. Sometimes something's measurable only in a very, you know, in a very complex assay that's hard to commercialize. Um, you know, so there, there are just a lot of different reasons why it can be, it can be challenging to actually turn those, you know, those discoveries into something that we utilize clinically. Well, let's talk about Amplion. What is Amplion? So Amplion is a three-and-a-half-year-old company. Uh, started the company back in uh, late 2012 and started building out our team with uh, with my, my first co-founder in, in, in early 2013. Uh, the goal with Amplion is, is to put out uh, software products that make it easier for uh, folks to make good decisions about biomarkers and how they can be used in clinical trials and in new products. So our pro- our core product is called Biomarker Base, and Biomarker Base is a is a database that includes uh, thousands of biomarkers that are being developed and, and, and utilized clinically. And so one of the things that we're trying to do with Biomarker Base is kind of cut through that noise that I talked about previously, where so many biomarker discoveries ultimately don't end up being uh, useful clinically. And and so we we raise to our customers all those biomarkers that are being used in at least one clinical trial or being used in at least one diagnostic test. And so those are what we consider the most actionable biomarkers. Once a drug company decides, hey, we're actually going to measure this biomarker in a clinical trial, that's a pretty significant uh, watershed moment in, in a biomarker's life cycle and, and shows a lot of confidence in the, in the potential utility of that biomarker. So, so that's our core product. Our, our customers are primarily in uh, diagnostic test development, drug development, and they use uh, biomarker base to, uh, to identify the biomarkers that they may want to use in their clinical trials. Uh, to improve their outcomes or that uh, for the diagnostics companies, they might have want to develop into uh, sort of next generation diagnostic tests. So how exactly would, would a researcher or a drug developer use the, the biomarker base? What kind of information does it contain? What would they be seeking to do with it? Yeah, so so a typical use might be for a drug company. They may go in and say, and, and, and you know, competitive intelligence is, is a key use. So they would go in and they would say, hey, uh, you know, for lung cancer, what are all the biomarkers that other companies are using in their clinical trials to identify patients that are suitable for a given drug type? Uh, and, and, and which of those biomarkers are we not currently using? And so they can actually identify those sort of gaps and then go in and research those biomarkers and say, okay, yeah, here, you know, these three, uh, actually had uh, significant contributions to positive outcomes in trials. So, you know, these are biomarkers we ought to be using or, or, you know, these actually didn't end up making any impact. So, so we're going to strike those from the list, but it makes it very easy for them to stay aware of all the biomarkers being used in different therapeutic areas. And the diagnostics companies, they're really just looking for what are the next uh, either 
you know, individual biomarkers we should develop into a test. And so they'll kind of track what is, you know, what are the drug companies using to select patients. That's probably going to be a companion diagnostic biomarker down the road if, if those drug programs are successful. Uh, or increasingly, they're looking for panels. They're looking for what are the biomarkers that are being measured regularly together to diagnose or prognose diseases. And then those are those are biomarkers that they would consider developing into their own tests. I, I imagine the information in the biomarker base is drawn from publicly available sources. What does biomarker base do that makes it attractive to users? What what does it do that other sources of biomarker information doesn't? Yeah, so that's exactly right. All the sources currently that we draw on are publicly available. And so uh, what we do is make it much easier to utilize those sources for strategic decision making. So for one thing, we aggregate all of the information into one place. So you don't have to search it three different FDA websites and an NIH website and, you know, uh, another you know, PubMed and, you know, all these different resources. Uh, we aggregate it all into one place. We also normalize it. So, you know, whereas uh, in all of these resources, maybe you see, uh, you know, a gene is, is identified three, four, five different ways, uh, different synonyms, gene symbol, et cetera. Uh, we normalize everything down so that you don't have to search for five, six different synonyms to be sure you have total coverage of, of that area. Uh, so that aggregation is really a key part of the value prop. And then we also were able to show trends, right? So that's something you're not able to see at these resources is how are biomarkers increasing or decreasing in use in different applications, either for patient selection and efficacy endpoints, things of that nature. And so there are competing products out there. The, the, the key differentiators for us, I think, are, are really twofold. They're data quality. We, we focus very highly on, uh, on, on having extremely accurate data in our system. So we, uh, we actually emphasize that over, over volume. A lot of, uh, some of the other companies that, that have similar products will really emphasize, you know, just the total volume of information they have in their system. But, you know, there, there's a lot of false positive in there. There's a lot of stuff that people, frankly, just don't, don't care about. Uh, so data quality is key. Also usability. So uh, one thing that's unique about our database is that we utilize a, a very modern, intuitive uh, web interface for, for accessing the product, whereas uh, other companies, their, their interfaces are a bit dated. Uh, you've got to, you know, you've got to go through. We hear regularly from our customers that you, you know, may have to check five checkboxes to, you know, start a search that you can, you can yield a result in our product in, in just one, uh, in one click. So those are really the key differentiators for us. One of the issues in, in using biomarkers, particularly in, in clinical trials, is validating them. You've alluded this to this somewhat, but to what extent are, are the biomarkers in, in the database validated and and how is that communication or how, how is that communicated to the the user how well validated they may be so that's and that's really central uh, to to what we're providing here is is demonstrating showing our customers what the validation state for any given biomarker is it's it's, it's really key to to you know to to ultimately getting that biomarker to a point where it's clinically useful so as I said, the uh, the earliest stage biomarkers in our database are those that are, are used in just you know one or two clinical trials. Those are going to be sort of your excuse me earliest stage or most emerging biomarkers, uh, and that shows the level of validation, right? If a, if a, if, a, if a drug company or 
some other entity, a research institution is, is going to say, you know, yeah, we're going to measure this in, you know, four or 500 patients, even 20, 30 patients. You know, that's a significant cost. So there has to be some, uh, there has to be some validation behind that. And we then also provide all the literature support. So you can actually go in and look at the literature, see how many different publications there are that, that, that support the use of a biomarker for a given disease. And so if you see a relatively thin literature out there, it's relatively recent and it's only being used in a couple trials, that's going to be among your most early stage, least well-validated biomarkers. Then you sort of move up. The next level would be biomarkers used in lab development tests, LDTs. So these are biomarkers that don't go through FDA review. They're put out by, by labs that are offering that, that test as a service. Then you go to the FDA cleared and approved tests, and then and then those that are used in drug labels as well. Uh, and so those are going to be the highest level of validation. If you go through FDA review at any point, uh, you know that's going to be that's going to be uh, certainly the highest level of validation in, in our system. Now, all that said, one of the things that we're really interested in doing is is raising to our customers even earlier stage biomarkers, those that aren't even being used clinically yet. They're preclinical, and maybe they're only described in the literature. So we, we've developed uh, a very sophisticated data gathering capability that can go out into the literature, find those biomarkers, and now we're building the algorithms that are going to then score them so that you can say, okay, well, there are 20, you know, uh, putative or candidate biomarkers for prostate cancer out there. What are the three? Here are the three that have the greatest likelihood of becoming clinically useful based on certain attributes that, that we know uh, are, are uh, similar to biomarkers that, uh, that, that are already in clinical use or attributes that we know confer a greater uh, greater likelihood of, of success for that biomarker. So validation is, is you know, is, is key and, and it's really central to kind of what we're trying to provide in terms of understanding uh, levels of validation for biomarkers. We discussed the proliferation of biological data and, and, and biomarkers specifically. What is the impact of that on on your database, and, and how and and how often do you do you update the information there? So we update it very regularly. Uh, so we 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 used to rely very heavily on manual curation, and most most resources like like ours are are exclusively manually curated. Uh, but uh, but we're we're a little bit unique in that we invested very heavily in a data gathering system that uses uh, that uses machine learning. Uh, and can can very uh, very rapidly scan, for example, all 200,000 records of clinicaltrials.gov on a nightly basis, and we can then identify new biomarker information in there. And we're constantly training our system to get smarter and smarter about how it how it identifies biomarkers and and uh, and, and whether or not there is actually you know the intent to measure it as as we call it. Uh, so we can kind of understand the biomarker mentioned in context. And then say, yeah, this is this is something that our customers are going to care about, and then pull it in. So really, the, the minimum update frequency that we have right now is every other week. We're probably going to, uh, before the end of the year, be looking at uh, potentially even doing daily updates. And in terms of the actual growth uh, in the amount of data or biomarkers in the database, how, how has that grown? So to give you an example, we started the year uh, with about, I think, 4,000 biomarker indications, as we're calling them, in the database. Those are associations between a specific biomarker and a disease. And obviously, there are going to be you know, a lot of uh, biomarkers are going to be associated with dozens or even hundreds of diseases. Uh, so those specific associations are what we're, we're looking for out there. We started the year, as I said, with I think uh, between four and five thousand, around forty-five hundred of them. We're currently tracking uh, just over sixty thousand, 
biomarker indications for uh, for over 4,000 unique genes and proteins. So uh, really, the, the, the systems we've developed have, have, have expanded our database very, very rapidly. Drug makers obviously have a, a big interest in, in biomarkers because of their potential for cutting the time and, and cost of drug development. What are the challenges drug developers face in that regard, and how can biomarkers help address the problem? So biomarkers have really changed, fundamentally changed drug development. They, they, they have turned it from a process where you uh, try to get your drug out to the largest possible uh, group of, of, of patients. Uh, and, and, you know, some, the, the old paradigm was, you know, we want, we want these mega blockbusters. We're going to give it to, you know, to billions of people. We all know that, you know, a, 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 a percentage of those will actually get the benefit. And a lot of, you know, some of the estimates, uh, put the average, you know, response rates for drugs at somewhere between 30 and 50%. So, you know, half or, or more of the people receiving the drugs aren't actually getting any benefit from it. Uh, and then, you know, and then a, a small percentage, hopefully, are actually going to get toxic side effects from it. Well, that paradigm shift is, is now one where in advance you identify those patients who are uh, going to respond based on some, you know, characteristics that you can identify with biomarkers. Uh, and so you, you find, you end up with smaller, uh, cohorts of patients who are receiving the drug. Uh, but oh, by the way, during drug development, you have far fewer failures. Your trials take less long because you're able to prove efficacy earlier. Uh, they're less costly because you don't have to enroll as many patients in them. So the paradigm shift has gone from, you know, we want to get just a handful of mega blockbusters to, you know, to, you know, dozens maybe of smaller, uh, programs, uh, that are going to cost less overall and, and could yield in the end, you know, greater, greater profit for the business overall. We liken it to, you know, sort of, you know, they're, they're, they're not swinging for the home runs anymore. It's singles and doubles. It's kind of a money ball analogy. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's really biomarkers are central to that, to that paradigm shift. As we were early on in the business, it was interesting. Even just, you know, three and a half, four years ago, we would talk to drug companies, uh, and we'd go in and, and we'd find a high degree of variability in those companies and different drug programs in terms of how supportive they were in the use of biomarkers. And not just in oncology, but in cardiovascular and neurology, et cetera. And so, you know, some of these programs would say, you know, we're, we're not interested at all in exploring biomarkers. We know who our patients are. We're just going to stick with this, with this focus. And then other programs would be very, you know, very much embracing them, even within the same company. Uh, but we've also noticed over the years that, uh, that, that most companies now have, have fully accepted the reality of biomarkers and, and, and some are, you know, ahead of the curve in terms of, uh, their utilization of them earlier on. So they're already now starting to reap the benefits of biomarker driven programs. And, uh, you know, they're likely to, to, you know, appreciate some advantages for that. Uh, even with those successes, I'd argue that the move towards precision medicine has been surprisingly slow. Uh, I'm wondering, do you think that's because of barriers that are regulatory, that are scientific, that are economic? Why, why do you think we haven't seen faster progress towards this? Yeah, I think, you know, and I agree with you. It has been slow. I mean, the number of new drugs that we see coming out with biomarkers and their labels, uh, is, you know, it's not in the dozens per year, right? It's, it's a handful per year. And, uh, the, 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 the key drivers there, I think, are, are number one, we're still pretty early on in this movement. Uh, our research shows that it takes an average of 15 years 
for a biomarker to make it from the point of discovery to the point where it's actually being utilized clinically. And that goes for companion diagnostic biomarkers as well as di uh, diagnostic biomarkers. So the companion diagnostic biomarkers that are going to drive precision medicine, uh, it takes a long time for them to get validated and, and utilized. And, uh, and so, so I think that that's part of it, right? We're, we're, we're just now starting to, to, to appreciate some of the fruits, the early fruits of the human genome project and all that effort that went into, uh, developing new sequencing and, and proteomic technologies, et cetera. And so, so that's a, that's a, that's a big part of it. We're just, we're just still pretty early. Uh, another part has just been how rapidly, uh, pharma and drug development, uh, companies have been pushing this. And, and it's only been, as I said, relatively recently within, you know, I think the last five years from our, our estimates that, you know, there's been a, a general acceptance that this is the way drug development should be done these days. <clears throat> so that's been, that's been a key. Um, regulatory, I think, has not been such a barrier because FDA on the drug development side has been very uh, proactive in, in pushing drug companies to utilize biomarkers uh, to the point where it's pretty challenging, I think, to get a submission of any kind for a uh, for a uh, for an IMD uh, that doesn't include a uh, some some biomarkers in in the program. I think that's it's just part, you know considered pretty much a, a a mandatory aspect of drug development these days. So FDA is actually on that front been uh, pretty proactive. Now on the diagnostic side, uh, regulatory and, and reimbursement issues have been huge. I think uh, barriers to to advancement. But on the drug development side, I think it's pretty much just been adoption rates by by drug companies and and their kind of understanding and the, the new economics of a of, of this paradigm shift. Going forward, how do you see biomarkers reshaping drug development? For drug development, uh, I think it's just, I think we're going to just see more and more use of biomarkers to identify, uh, patients for targeted therapies outside of oncology. Oncology has obviously been the, the huge area where biomarkers have really taken off. And it's because the drugs that, uh, that are utilized there are targeting specific mutations and you can identify those mutations as biomarkers. Uh, but I think what we're starting to see is proliferation outside of, uh, outside of oncology, even in some, uh, therapeutic care, even with some biomarkers that you get their start in, in oncology, they're finding other uses outside of, outside of oncology. I think we're also going to see, uh, a much greater use of, uh, of, of sequencing, next generation sequencing in identifying, uh, identifying patients who are, are candidates for drugs. So one of the one of the real explosions that's gone on recently is is you know the the, the whole genome sequencing or, or large scale sequencing of patients and understanding how phenotypes and, and, and genotypes uh, match up in terms of, of making folks candidates for drugs. So a drug that may have started off with one indication, you could find the uh, parallel biomarker in, an, in, a, in another disease, and, and that drug could be a candidate for that for that individual as well. So I think I think seeing those crossovers is, is, is going to be something we're going to see more and more of. As, uh, as, as the data, uh, that, that describes those potential drug uses increases. Uh, one of the challenges is we just have so, we just don't have enough data right now, but, but that's certainly being, being solved on a number of fronts, both the public and private. John Odette, president and co-founder of Amplion. John, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Daniel. Enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.